2 Samuel chapter 21, look if you would at verse number 15. The Bible says, Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. Now watch this. And David waxed faint. And Ishbi Benob, the which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Would you look at the first phrase of verse number 18? The Bible records for us that it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. And verse 19 says basically the same thing. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines. And finally in verse number 20 the Bible says, And there was yet a battle in Gath. When we pick up the story of King David here in 2 Samuel chapter 21, it's been a long time since he stood down in the valley of Elah and faced off the giant Goliath. There's a couple of things I want to mention to you before I get into the main thrust of what our message is about this morning. First of all, can I just suggest to you that David, some years before this, when kings were supposed to go forth to battle, David did not go. You remember the story. That's when he lusted after Bathsheba and fell into that terrible sin. He should have been in battle, but he was not. And as a result, he fell into sin. Here in our text this morning, we find that David is an older man and probably should not be in battle, but he goes anyway. You know, there's something funny that whenever we've done something wrong, that we just go out of our way, if you will, to try to make it right. And unfortunately, sometimes we end up making things worse by trying to make things right. The Bible teaches us that if we confess our sin, that He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we're better off if we'll just accept that. Because when we try to make things right on our own or we try to prove that what we did was not really who we are, sometimes we end up making a bigger mess. Then something else I would just briefly bring to your attention is that much has been made about the fact that when David went down to fight Goliath, that he picked up those five smooth stones. There's been a lot of conjecture about why he chose five. We know that those of you that are students of the numbers in the scripture, you know that five is, is the number of grace in the Bible. And we know that David went down in the valley with five stones in his hands. And we know that David came back with five stones. Four of them were in his pocket. And one of them was embedded in the head of Goliath. And so we learn from that, even when you call upon the grace of God, you never diminish it in any sense whatsoever. But we're going to find as we look into this story that though David had those four extra stones, many have made much of the fact that these four giants came into his life later on and that he had those four stones for, for them, but David never used those stones. I just want to give you like some real simple things this morning to think about. I, I want to give you three little simple thoughts from these verses that we've read of our text today about Three lessons, if you'll let me say it this way, three lessons from an old man. Or maybe if I'd put it like this, things I didn't always understand that I do now. Let me suggest to you the very first thing I want you to notice. 
First of all, the Bible makes it clear to us that God does not always give the victory. Now listen to what I'm going to say. God does not always give the victory in what we might call a spectacular way. When we pick up the story of David and these giants that he would ultimately face, or at least Israel would face, uh, we find out that the conflict that takes place here is far different than what happened down in the Valley of Elah. In the Valley of Elah, it was a young teenage boy with very little combat experience, with nothing but a sling and a pocket full of stones, facing off against a man of war whose whole life had been consumed with battle and conflict and taking the lives of others, who stood with a shield and a sword and, and a, a spear. And God gave a victory that, well, let's just be honest, even to this day, when we're, we're talking about two, whether they be athletic teams or whatever that are mismatched, we talk about David and Goliath. It's going to be David and Goliath. It's become a part of our, our language. But that's not what took place here. Because the Bible says here that David waxed faint. And that David was not able to stand up against this Ishbi Benob, this big giant that came after him. But he had a mighty man that stood with him. Abishai was a man of war. In chapter 23 and verse number 18 of the book of 2 Samuel, the Bible records for us that this man Abishai killed 300 men with a spear. Now you think about that for a moment. I, I, this last week I was thinking and I, I, I looked up again. The most decorated soldier from World War II was a man by the name of Audie Murphy. Now some of you older folks like me remember Audie Murphy from being a movie star, which he did after the war was over with. But in World War II, he was the most decorated soldier. He won the Medal of Honor because in one battle, he held off an entire platoon of Germans for over an hour by himself in order that his troops could regroup and then they could uh, mount a counter-offensive. He was wounded in the process, but for over an hour he held them off by himself. Now, a platoon, according to what I read, could be anywhere from several dozen to up to 200 men. He held them off with an automatic weapon. That's quite a, it won him the Medal of Honor. But Abishai didn't have an automatic weapon. He killed... 300 men with a spear. Now I know someone's going to say, well, preacher, you know, he probably had an armor bearer that was with him, so it was probably two of them. Okay, so it was 150 that he killed by himself. That's still, that's still a pretty, you know, think about that. 300 men coming at you and you hold them off and kill them. That's the man that Abishai was. He was not an innocent little boy. He was not a little teenager that never seen, he was a true man of war. What you could really say was took place here was just a battle. And really there's nothing spectacular. It doesn't appear that, that God moved in and God did marvelous things. But the victory was still won. Here's the point I'm trying to make. God doesn't always do things in a spectacular way, but he always does them. And he's always there. And sometimes you and I are aware of his presence and sometimes we're not. I, I was thinking this last week. I think I've shared this story. I know I did in the college on one occasion, and I think maybe even here in the church I shared it one time. But years ago when I was pastoring, I got a call one night to come to the hospital. One of the men of our church, his mother was there, very bad. She was dying, and she was unsaved. And he asked me if I would come to the hospital. Of course, I did right away, got there. and got, When I got to the room, uh, sharing all the, the details, she was in a deep, deep coma. And he asked me, he said, Preacher, would you talk to my mother one more time? 
And I said, sure, I'll be glad to. I walked up to her bedside and took her by the hand and no response whatsoever. I, I spoke with her. I, I gave her the plan of salvation. I, I went through the whole thing as much as I could. I, I asked her, I said, ma'am, if you, if you understood and you're conscious of anything that I've said, could, would you squeeze my hand? There was absolutely nothing. I even said, well, maybe, maybe you could just move your eyeballs just a little bit. There was nothing, no response whatsoever. I stayed around for a little while. The, the nurses shared with me. They said she could linger for a few hours, said she could linger for a few days, preacher. And the, the gentleman told me, he said, preacher, why don't you just go on back home and I'll, I'll call you if anything changes. Well, early the next morning, I get a call from him and he said, preacher, I, I want to call and let you know mom died last night. And I said, man, you should have called him. No, no, he said, it's fine, no problem. He said, but I want to tell you this. About an hour before she died, she rallied out of that coma. And she spoke to us. She knew us all. She knew me. She knew my wife. She knew all of us in the room. He said, and after we talked for just a few moments with her, I said, Mom, did you remember Pastor Adkins being here? And she said, yes, I did. She said, Mom, did you hear what he said to you? She said, yes, I did. He said, Mom, did you trust Christ as your Savior? And he said, she looked up at him. He said, yes, I did. And less than an hour later, she was back in a coma and then gone. I want to tell you what, when he told me that on the phone, there were Holy Ghost goosebumps going up and down my back. I thought, my soul in God great. You know why I believe that happened? I really believe that God was honoring the prayers of that man for his mother all those years and just letting him know that, that she was saved. We were rejoicing. I mean, it was one of those things, you, you almost hated to tell the story because it was so unique. It, it, it was such an act of God. It was almost too holy to even talk about. A few days later, I was sitting in my office and there come a little peck, peck, peck at the door and I looked up and there was one of the teachers kind of staring through the window at me. And those of you that ever pastored or been a school principal or whatever, you know that when you see a teacher staring through the window at you that it's either really, really good news or really, really bad news. And so I, I motioned for her to step in. And when she stepped in the room, she said, Preacher, I just want to come and tell you something. She said, we had chapel this morning and we had a fifth grade boy that trusted the Lord as his Savior. I said, wasn't well, that wonderful? Praise the Lord. I'm so glad to hear that. And went right on back to what I was doing. And it was some time later that I was sitting at my desk and I, I just, it just struck me all of a sudden. That lady got saved right at death's door in such a unique situation. And we were shouting all over the place. And this fifth grade boy gets saved and it's like, okay, praise the Lord. Well, that's good, wonderful, glad to hear it. But do you realize it took just as much of the grace of God to save that fifth grade boy as it did to save that woman? It took just as much of the power of God to save that boy as it did to save that lady. And all I'm trying to say to you this morning is this, that God doesn't always do things in what we might call the spectacular way, but God's always at work. And it's easy for you and I perhaps to sit here this morning and say, well, I've never really seen God do anything spectacular. I've never really seen God. Listen, we sat here a couple of Sunday nights ago and watched as, as five or six different people pass through the baptismal waters and entrusted Christ their Savior. Do you realize that's the grace of Almighty God? That's the power of God that was demonstrated in our very midst. God saved those people in a miraculous way. I encourage you this morning, just look around. Look around. And realize that God is God. And God's always at work. And God's always doing things that can amaze us. And that can astound us. Because His grace is unlimited. I'm going to give you a second thing to think about. 
not only do we realize that God doesn't always give the victory in a spectacular way, but second of all, can I suggest to you this morning that one victory against the devil is never final in our lives. You know, you would have thought <laughs> that, that the victory there in the Valley of Elah would have been enough for a lifetime, wouldn't you? I mean, to have fought one giant like David fought that one giant and to won that victory and things to have gone, you would have thought that would have been enough for a lifetime. But the Bible, as we read a few moments ago, reminded us that even though the Philistine army was beaten down and barely in existence, every time they got a new champion, here they came. Now, the Bible doesn't, re we read these just verse after verse after verse, and we would tend to think maybe this is just, you know, within a matter of days, this, this, all, this all happened. But probably in reality, this was probably over a matter of years that this transpired. And they just kept coming back, and they kept coming back, and they kept coming back. And can I remind you again that the Bible admonishes us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8 that we need to be sober and be vigilant because our adversary of the devil is a roaring lion goes about seeking whom he may devour and he never gives up. <laughs> I've, uh, I've had people ask me, I assume it's because of my advanced years, but people ask you sometimes, they'll say, Preacher, does it get easier to battle the world and the flesh and the devil? And my answer is always this. I'll let you know when I get there. If it ever gets easier, whatever age that is, I'll let you know. But so far... I haven't found that to be true. The devil is just as powerful. The devil is just as determined in my life tonight as he is in the life of the teenager sitting in this room or anyone else. And may God help you and I again to understand one victory against the devil is never enough. Let me give you a couple things in regard to that. First of all, just because something looks the same doesn't mean that it is. Now, I imagine there may have been some family resemblance between these boys. If you read the entire text of what I gave you earlier, you realize that there were relatives of Goliath that was the one who would always lead the rebellion that the Philistines did against Israel. And there may have been family resemblance there. But even though that may have been true, they were not Goliath. They were not the same guy. They were different. And even though trials in our life may look the same, every trial is different. Every battle is a new battle. It's not just a one uh, continuum. Every battle is a new battle. And with that being true, it's also important for us to remember that because we fight the battle again doesn't mean that we didn't win the last time. The devil would like you and I to believe that when we're faced with a battle that perhaps we have been involved in before, at least similar to that, that that means we didn't win the last time. And so if we didn't win the last time, then we can't win this time. But I remind you again, that's not the way it works. And every battle that we fight and we win is a battle, a battle fought and won. And every battle that we face and maybe lose doesn't mean we didn't win before. And it doesn't mean that we can't win again in the future. I'm simply trying to remind you that as we get on through life, a lot of people have failed when we forget that the devil never gives up. A lot of churches have failed when they've forgotten that the devil never gives up. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13, there is a verse of scripture that I think we would do well to take note of. The Bible reminds us that there hath no temptation taken you. Now listen to what he says. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. 
Now listen. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. I've used that verse many, many times in counseling with folks that were battling against some temptation in their life to remind them about some principles. That first of all, God is faithful. God is faithful. And he'll not suffer. He'll not allow us to be tempted above what we're able. Every temptation that we face can be won. We never come to the place where we say, well, it's just, it's just too big. I, 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 can't, I can't win this. No. God won't. The Bible says again that God will not suffer us to be tempted above that we're able. But he also says this, but he will with the temptation also make a way to escape. God builds a back door into every temptation that he allows to come into our life. The thing about it is we just have to be willing to look for that back door. And we have to be willing to take advantage of that back door. That's why I always encourage young men and young ladies as well when we're talking about temptation. You ought to build an escape plan into your life. And young people, listen, and, and folks this morning, listen, the, 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 the devil is not going to give up, but we need, again, to build an escape plan into our life. That when temptation comes, whether it's temptation that we've faced before or whether it's new temptation or whatever it is, that we, we are prepared. We know what we're going to do. You know, around, around this building here, around the, the, the school, all the, the school rooms, they all have on their walls um, fire escape routes. Now, to my knowledge, I've only been here, we just finished our 11th year. I, to my knowledge, there's never been a major fire in any of the buildings here on the campus. Now, I'm sure there's probably been a few little things, that have, especially around the home ec lab from time to time, that have flared up. But uh, there's never been a major fire. But why, why would we go to all the trouble to put all these escape routes up on the walls of a building where it's never had a fire? Well, again, you know why. It's because in case... We're ready. We know what to do. Why, why do we have the drills about what to do in, in, in the case of an emergency? Why do we? Because we want to be ready. And would to God that in our own Christian lives that we would do the same thing, that we would build into our lives escape plans. That we know what we're going to do when the devil comes knocking on the door again. I'm simply saying to you this morning again, first of all, God doesn't always do things in a spectacular way. Abishai fighting Ishbi Ab was not a a mismatch. It was two great warriors going head to head and the mightiest warrior won. It wasn't like David down the valley of Elah. And then again, we know that the devil's never, uh, one, one victory over the devil in our life is never final. He's going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. So I'll give you one last thing and I'll, I'll be done this morning. And that is that not every battle has to be fought alone. Look at the very last verse of chapter 21 of the book of 2 Samuel. The Bible says, These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David. Now watch this. And by the hand of his servants. In the valley of Elah, David, humanly speaking, stood alone, did he not? All the armies of Israel were cowering behind stones and looking and expecting David to be slaughtered. David was just a young boy by himself. But here in these verses that are set before us this morning, he could not do that. He was old now. He'd waxed faint. And God sent those along to stand by his side and to help him through the battles that he had to fight. I guess the point I'm trying to make is this. There's nothing wrong in admitting that we need help sometimes as we battle our way through this world.
I, I remember hearing a little story years ago. There was a, a little boy was afraid of the dark at night and his mother was trying to get him accustomed to sleeping by himself in a room uh, alone. And so uh, she put him into bed and tucked him in and said, now, sweetie, remember that Jesus is with you. So you'll be okay. Fine. Well, a few hours into the night, a thunderstorm comes rolling up. And all of a sudden, there's a big clap of thunder and a bolt of lightning. And the little boy cries out and says, Mama, Mama. And she very quietly says to him, Sweetie, remember, Jesus is with you. And he calmed down a little bit. A little bit later, boom, bang, again. He cried out, Mama, Mama. She said, Honey, please remember, Jesus is with you. Third time, boom, bang. He cried, Mama, Mama. She said, Sweetie. He said, Mama, I know that Jesus is with me. But right now, I need somebody with skin on them. <laughs> and let's be honest, that there are times in our life that we sometimes need somebody with skin on them, don't we? And that's why God suits us to be an encouragement to each other and to be there for one another. David fought Goliath by himself the first time. But after that, there were others who came along beside of him and encouraged him and defended him. And helped him through the hard times. I want you to look, if you would, in your Bible. If you turn over the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you know these verses. I'm sure you do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look, if you would, at verse number 3. The Apostle Paul writing says this to us. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch how, what, how he refers to him. He calls him the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And then he says this in verse 4. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Paul said, you know why sometimes you go through trials and troubles and tribulations? He said, God might comfort you. And you know why God comforts you? That you in turn then might comfort others with the same comfort wherewith you were comforted. And God, when he comes along beside of you and encourages you and helps you to understand things and helps you to see things, that help, helps you to know that God's presence is real, that you and then can turn around and be that one with skin on them that can help somebody else that's going through the same trials that you're going through. David had surrounded himself with what was called his mighty men. If you would read chapter 23 of the book of 2 Samuel, we are talking about a moment ago, you'll find a record of those mighty men and things that they did. It's almost unbelievable, the, the men they were. They were battle-tested. They were scarred. They, they knew what it was to fight. And David had surrounded himself with people like that. And they were there when he needed them to help him get through the trials and help him get through the heartache. You know, there's going to be a lot of times in life when you and I are going to need someone to stand by our side and help us through times like that. But, but can I ask you something? What kind of people are you surrounding yourself with? Are they mighty men? Like the men of David? Or perhaps not so much. I, I want to show you one other verse and I'll be finished. Go over the book of, of uh, 3 John. An old preacher down in Kentucky used to call him one-eyed John, two-eyed John, three-eyed John. Uh, go to 3-Eyed John and look at verse number 2. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but you know sometimes you read verses in the Bible and it just kind of strikes you funny. In 3 John chapter 2, or chapter 2, verse 2, 
The Bible says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou, that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Now watch this. Even as thy soul prospereth. You realize what John was praying for these people, what he was asking? He said, I want your physical health to be equal to your spiritual health. Now I wonder how many of us this morning would like somebody to pray that prayer for us. I wonder if all of a sudden across this building, all of a sudden our physical health would be in proportion to our spiritual health. I suppose if that's going to be true, we probably ought to have some ambulances standing by outside because some of us would probably need some CPR pretty quick to stay alive if our spirit, physical health suddenly was equal to our spiritual health. Now, here's what I'm trying to get around to. David had those mighty men that were by his side, and they were able to go into combat, and they were able to defend him. I wonder what kind of people you and I are surrounding ourselves with. Are we surrounding ourselves with mighty men that can help us in the time of battle, to help us in the time of struggle, to help us in the time of temptation? Or perhaps we got a bunch of weaklings standing around that they wouldn't be much help in a fight. And they certainly wouldn't be much help in a time of great trial. We need mighty men because we can't fight every battle by ourselves. Sometimes we need help. I realize what I've given you this morning is a little disjointed in some ways. But just think for a moment, if you would. Here was David. The same David that stood in the valley of Elah. But he's an old man now. He's weaker. He needs help. You can't see every victory be a spectacular thing. But it's always God. God was as real when Abishai faced down Ishbi Benob as he was when David faced down Goliath. Just didn't appear that way. But God was there. The devil never gives up. Every time the Philistines got a new champion, here they came, back and back and back. And the devil did the same thing in my life and yours. And David realized again that he could not win every battle alone. Wasn't strong enough. Wasn't able. He needed help. It's hard to ask for help sometimes. But we need it. And we need someone to stand by our side, someone to encourage us, and someone to help us. I wonder this morning if we're humble enough to ask for that help. And I wonder this morning if we're strong enough to be the one to offer that help to someone we care about.